BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Fuel for the Fire. Written by P.R. O'Leary. We weren't sure what the old stone building was at first. Two stories tall, gray brick, boarded windows with big red X's painted on them, a cracked parking lot surrounded it like parched skin. A sandy stretch of dirt and dead scrub grass surrounded that, The whole thing circled by an ancient chain-link fence. The building was in a podunk town in the middle of Iowa. Tony and I never expected to be in Iowa, but circumstances being what they were, not good. We had little choice. Our car, a 16-year-old Ford hatchback, first crapped out a day ago. We could see it coming. Driving it was a chore. It bucked and trembled on the road if you got over 45, and it smelled so much like burning oil that being in it for more than an hour got you high. When it finally stopped working, we pushed it, Tony and I, a half mile to the nearest gas station. Glad we found one in an area like that. It was a lone outpost on an empty road. One gas pump. A garage big enough for one car one guy working there. The guy was old and friendly, his face covered in so much five o'clock shadow that he looked like a poppy seed bagel. He was covered in grease. He took the car into his dirty garage and came out with a litany of things that needed doing. The guy just loved to talk, like we were his only customers in a while, which we damn well might have been. He took his time explaining everything about how belts wore down and what fluids needed to be flushed and what gaskets needed to be sealed and why. I could see Tony getting mad just listening. Tony looked just like me, except shorter, stronger, and meaner, all wiry muscle where I was lanky joints. We had that tanner look, both of us, brown eyes, Freckly skin like we were always dirty. Noses so small they made everything else on our face look big. Reddish blonde hair that could look either color depending on the angle. Now it looked blood red in the setting sun. Billy, what the mechanic introduced himself as, even though he was well over half a century old, was happily going on and on. 
He didn't notice Tony's lips starting to press together, getting whiter and whiter, his forehead tipping slowly forward, like a bull getting ready to charge. I noticed, though, and I knew what would happen next. Hey, Billy, we're a little short on time. Can you skip to the good part and just let us know what absolutely needs to get done and how much? Billy responded with a long list of issues and said he'd need to wait until tomorrow for some of the parts. And we'd be out $650. Tony's fists unclenched now that I was dealing with Billy. And I could see his body relax and grow a few inches shorter as he settled back, color returning to his face. I felt myself relax as well. I didn't want a repeat of what had happened in Michigan. We needed to keep moving. All right, how much if we just wanted to get it on the road today? Billy gave us the verdict and the price. $150. More money than we had, but fair. That's when Tony piped up. Do it. Billy nodded. This baby will drive out of here, but... You better get the rest of that stuff done soon or won't be driving long. That was yesterday. After the car was fixed and after Tony had us pull the old dining dash on poor Billy, the fix and ditch, garage and dodge. Anyway, we peeled out of town and took unlit roads through weird parts of the state until we made it to this forgotten area in Iowa. The car, well... The car ran fine for a bit, smoother and less fragrant. But after 300 miles or so, the shaking came back with a vengeance, and the whole thing just shuddered and died on the side of some wooded country road in the middle of nowhere. Tony was in the driver's seat, the color leaving his face as he squeezed his lips together, his hands white-knuckling the steering wheel like he was going to rip it off. I tried to lighten the mood. Well, I said chuckling, I guess you get what you pay for. That's when his fist flashed out and slammed into the side of my head, knocking me out. When I came to, it was dark. My head was cocked against the passenger window at a weird angle. The glass was freezing. My limbs half numb with cold. My temple wasn't numb, though. It throbbed with pain. I was seeing stars. I rubbed my eyes with my palms, and the stars morphed into glints of moonlight on the glass and metal of the car. Tony was sitting on the hood, smoking a cigarette. I shook off the unconsciousness and opened the door. Tony turned to me. So you're finally up. Thought I'd let you sleep. I walked over and stood next to him, rolling my neck, feet crunching on road gravel, hands warming in my armpits, breath white. How noble. I was used to being hit by Tony, but it never felt good. He motioned into the distance with his cigarette, the red light of the tip leaving a trail in the darkness. Look over there, he said. That's where we'll shelter for a while. I looked, saw nothing but trees. In the damn forest? 
I said. My head was still throbbing. No, dipshit, Tony said, flinging his cigarette toward the trees. The building behind it. I still couldn't see it, but he was moving, rounding the car. It's around the corner, he said. Come on, we can get the car there. There's a place to stash it so no one sees. Tony must have been worried that people were looking for us, especially if poor old Billy called the police. Not much we can do now at this hour in this cold, so crashing somewhere for the night is probably a good idea, especially if we can hide the car in the process. Move it, dipshit, Tony yelled, snapping me back to reality. I shook my head and joined him behind the car. Pushing it to the hiding place took only about 30 minutes and had the bonus of warming us both up. Halfway through, we stripped off our coats, and by the time we reached the garage on the side of that gray building, we both had our sleeves rolled up as well. Tony had scoped out the area while I was knocked out. A dirt driveway off the road led to the chain-link fence. Tony had untied the loose chain holding it closed so we could get the car through, then reattached it behind us. The dirt road ran through that patchy grass to that ancient parking lot that flowed around the building. The building itself wasn't that big. Two stories tall, a couple of rooms wide on either edge, all gray stone. Didn't take long to angle the car around the building to an attached garage, clearly a late add-on. The dented metal door had already been opened by Tony, the busted lock lying on the ground. The garage was empty except for some paint cans stacked up in the corner and a door leading into the building. No way of knowing what this place was yet. A school? An office? A city building of some sort? The garage was probably just for maintenance and was suitably small, but so was our car, so we got it in. When Tony pulled down the door behind us, the closed space got real dark, real quick. Not a bad find, I said, speaking more to keep my mind distracted from the unknown than to interact with my brother. You got that right, Tony said, flipping his lighter on, illuminating his face and a far too small area around him. Let's get in there, see what we can find. I was exhausted and still seeing stars. Can't we just sleep in the car? Tony didn't answer. With the flame from the lighter playing off his features, I thought I could see the anchor building, so I remained quiet and joined him. He turned and pushed open the door that led to the interior. The door's metal bottom scraped the concrete, its hinges squeaking loud enough to wake anyone who might already be squatting inside. The lighter illuminated far too little, but Tony, as usual, was undaunted and strolled right in. Maybe he could see better, but all I saw were shadows. I followed anyway. Once we were inside, though, I could see better. Maybe my eyes were adjusting. The door led us out into the middle of a hallway. Ancient linoleum floors, yellowed now, peeling paint on the walls, light rectangular outlines where signs or posters might have hung in the past. Dust everywhere but no garbage, no sign of life. The hallway was lined with doors. Tony looked left and right, 
Looks like a hospital, he said. I nodded, not that he'd noticed that in the dark. He was right. Without signs or equipment, this place still had that stark, antiseptic look, even under all the dust. From the decor, the place couldn't have been more than two or three decades old, but something was off about this place. Maybe it was the flickering flame against the walls or the chill air now seeping into my bones. If this was a hospital, it felt like something from those horrible days before modern medicine. A place of lobotomies and shock therapy, leeches even. I wasn't sure if Tony felt that, but even if he did, he wouldn't show it. Right now, he was walking up to doors and opening them willy-nilly. The heavy doors hit the wall with loud thuds, shaking dust down from the ceiling. Tony peeked into the darkness of each room, lighter first, and then quickly moved on to the next, apparently not seeing anything of interest. What are you looking for? I whispered, following him. I glanced in the rooms he left open behind him as he went. They were all small and mostly bare. One had an old overturned wooden chair, where another had a cabinet with the doors open, the shelves clean. Trying to find anything we can make use of, dipshit. Tony did not whisper. Where my voice was hushed, his seemed to boom through the whole building. Where my footsteps were quiet and small, his were forceful and brash. The whole hallway was alive with the banging of doors and his loud voice, the sounds of Tony's presence. The hallway ended up ahead, with another one branching off left. Having perused the last door, Tony followed the branch and continued out of sight. Then, before I could catch up, I heard footsteps start to speed up, banging down the hallway. He was moving fast, running, sprinting even. Hey, get back here! He yelled. With the light source gone, I was in darkness again. I ran forward, my heart pounding, adrenaline warming up my freezing body. Turning the corner, I saw Tony at the end of the hallway, not far ahead, in front of a set of closed double doors. He was banging on them hard with one fist, his meaty hand thudding against the metal, his other holding the lighter. I could see his face in the light, the set of his shoulders, his head leaning forward, shoulders up, his legs kicking the ground like a bull, the muscles of his back taut as he repeatedly thudded into the door, first with his hand. Then he reared back and rammed into it with his shoulder, shaking the door but not breaking it. I stopped a few feet behind him. There was a little window in the door. A small rectangle of glass reinforced the metal wire. Through the glass, I could see a face. A young face. A woman. And she was terrified. She was looking at the door and slowly backing away from it. Away from Tony. You! You can't get in here! She screamed from the other side. Her voice high-pitched, scared and angry at the same time. Just get out of here! Tony was still ramming his shoulder into the door. He spoke between grunts, his teeth clenched. Open this goddamn door! He growled as he rammed his shoulder against the door. Right now! 
or I will fucking break it down. As she backed away from the door, I could see more of her. She was young, and her face was too thin and dirty. Her teeth were rotting, her hair sticking out from beneath a black wool cap, her thin frame wrapped in a dirty jacket. I thought she was probably a junkie, probably homeless. I could tell just by looking at her that she hadn't been in a warm place with running water in ages. Leave me alone, man. I don't want trouble, she shouted, still backing away. Tony finally stopped, realizing the door wouldn't budge. He pressed his face against the glass, the lighter right by his head, so close I was worried he'd set himself on fire. His whole body angled forward like he could squeeze through the little window. Well, honey, if you don't open this door, you are going to have some fucking trouble. What Tony wanted with her, I wasn't sure. When he got like this, what he wanted didn't always make sense. She probably saw him and ran, and that triggered something primal in him. Like a predator seeing escaping prey. I slowly approached him, tried to speak softly to calm him down. Look, just let her go. She has nothing we want. I gently placed my hand on his shoulder. It felt like warm rock. He turned around, his mouth pursed flat. The flame of the lighter reflected in his eyes, and I was close enough to see the dozens of beads of sweat on his forehead and cheeks. His face was alight with fire, and I was a deer in his headlights, as his fist once again lashed out and slammed me into unconsciousness. I woke up, my neck bent at a bad angle, my head resting on stone and my ass numb from what felt like cold concrete. I was freezing. All I could see was darkness. My mouth was nearly crusted shut and tasted like shit. I shuffled around, stretching my neck and arms, my legs. I was indeed sitting on concrete, my back against stone. Everything was cold and sore. I felt like I'd been out for a while, and I desperately needed water. I generated some precious saliva and swallowed. My ears popped, and I coughed, willing my eyes to adjust to the darkness. I called out for Tony. No response. I could hear the sound of shuffling, something dragging against concrete. Even without all my senses, I could feel that I was in a large room. Tall ceilings, the acoustics making every sound echo. I called out for Tony again, louder this time. He responded in a calm voice, like nothing had happened. Yeah, buddy? He was moving closer, dragging something towards me. Wood on the concrete. Where are we? I asked. The dragging stopped. I knew he was right in front of me but I couldn't see anything more than vague shapes. We're in the basement, he said. Found us a way to stay warm. The lighter flicked on, illuminating him, standing in front of me and the room around us. Walls all old stone brick, ceilings too high to see. A rusted metal spiral staircase leading up to a hatch in the ceiling. Piles of boxes, stacks of chairs, 
and old metal barrels surrounded us. Tony had dragged over a rickety wooden table. How this stuff got down that staircase, I wasn't sure. I also didn't understand what he was talking about. How are we going to stay warm down here, Tony? I'm fucking freezing. My teeth chattered as I spoke to underline the point. Without saying a word, Tony moved to the side. And that's when I saw the boiler. It stood at the end of the room like a sentinel. A big, black, iron monolith. An ancient model that looked like a pot-bellied stove, but was as tall as an elephant and as thick as an oak tree. Its rusted iron door was like a mouth and a giant bulbous head. A thick flue stuck out the top, reaching up into the darkness and connecting to a pipe in the ceiling. The base looked like a chiseled rectangle of granite. The bolts anchoring it were thick and rusted, like the rivets on an abandoned battleship. The boiler dominated that side of the room, drawing my attention to it like it had its own gravity. The thing looked like something from a medieval forge, something that could create enough heat to melt metal into diabolical designs. But now, it stood there, dead and cold. Tony's voice pulled my attention away from the boiler. You get the fire started, and I'm gonna find that girl. Getting the fire started actually sounded like a great plan, like the idea had been in my head all this time, waiting to be sparked like a fire itself. I could feel myself growing warm with the thought, this aged machine brought to life again. I pushed myself up, joints cracking from sitting for who knows how long, the blood rushing to my head. I never took my eyes off the boiler as I walked forward and grabbed the lighter out of Tony's hands, the flames nearly singeing my fingers. The boiler was so large that my head only reached its midpoint. I peered through the grate of the door, which was slightly below eye level, and saw nothing. I put one hand on the handle, twisted it, and pulled. I could feel the rust of the years cracking away as the door swung open, heavy and solid in my hand. The belly of the boiler was black and empty, like a hungry beast, wanting. Tony was walking up the stairs behind me, saying something, but I wasn't listening. The boiler needed to be fed. I slowly put the lighter inside its maw to see, half expecting the door to slam shut in my arm. The cold, steel cavern was empty. It was so large I could crawl through and put myself in there if I wanted to. But no, it was my job to find fuel. Turning away, I saw that Tony was gone, evidently on his own sinister errand. I began to dig through the contents of the room. Some of the boxes had empty glass jars, packed with old newspapers. I took the papers and rolled them up tight. Looking around for bigger fuel, I saw the stacks of old wooden chairs. I picked one up and threw it against the wall with all my might. It shattered and split with a crash. Splinters of wood flew everywhere. I gathered them up and returned to the boiler to start building a pyre. I laid the rolled newspaper on the bottom, added the smaller splinters of wood, 
and then place the larger pieces of wood on top of that, all in a pyramid shape. An offering. It looked miniature in the giant chamber. My hand was shaking from the cold as I reached into the mall with the lighter, aiming the flame towards a corner of the rolled-up newspaper. With a hand shaking from the cold, I once again reached into the mall with the lighter, this time aiming the flame at the corner of the rolled-up newspaper. The paper caught, flames sputtering to life. The cold, ancient metal soaking up the beginnings of heat. But there was so much metal, and the flames were too tiny. They struggled to stay lit. I blew on them, giving them oxygen. I watched as they grew brighter and began consuming the newspaper. Then, the small pieces of wood started to ignite. The flames grew larger, and the metal began to heat up more, eagerly soaking up the warmth, coming to life. All of the wood was burning now, but the boiler was greedy. It was sucking up all of the warmth, all of the energy, and it wanted more. I turned, and frantically, I gathered more wood. I shoved a pile into the chamber, and the flames consumed it, burning brighter. The belly was heating up, slowly coming to life, but I needed more fuel. With wild abandon, I went back to the pile of chairs, flinging them into the walls, the floor, each other, breaking them as fast as I could. I was throwing huge pieces into the boiler now, watching the flames grow. Three chairs gone, four, six, ten. My hands were bloody, my body sweaty. The fire was big now, the boiler was heating up. It was alive. The fire was strong enough that I could close the door. The smell of burning wood permeated the room. But now, the smoke seemed to be leaving through the flue, the ancient arteries of the beast working once again. I collapsed on the ground, spent. The glow of the fire through the grate lit up the room. The walls were orange with the dancing flames. That's when I saw the axe leaning against the wall, hidden behind the curve of the giant machine. I leaned over and grabbed it, examined the edge, still sharp enough. I stood up and walked over the table my brother had found. With a giant swing, I brought the head of the axe down on the wood, hacking off a section of the top. Yes, this would do nicely. I turned to the boiler and smiled. It's hungry, and I will feed it. I don't know how much time passed as I chopped up all the fuel in that room. The table, the chairs, and anything else I could find. I pile it all nearby and periodically, I open the grate to toss in chunks of wood. The handle's so hot that it starts to burn my skin, so I take off my shirt and wrap it around my hand for protection. 
The heat has permeated the basement. Being shirtless doesn't even matter. My body is hot. I'm dripping with sweat. But even with everything in the room burning, the boiler still isn't satisfied. I hear clanking above me, and the hatch opens as my brother slips in, stomping down the stairs. What the fuck's going on down here? Tony bellows. I can hear you in the whole goddamn building. How am I supposed to find that girl with you making such a racket? He glares at the boiler, which is pulsating now, alive. What the hell, man? I told you to get a fire started to warm us up a bit, not to burn the whole building down. Tony continues, still stomping down the stairs, his steps fast and purposeful. His body's angled in that way I'm all too familiar with. His fists clenching and unclenching, his head tipped forward, his face flattening out. Within seconds, he's down the stairs, rushing forward, his fist flashing out towards my head. Except this time, I'm ready. He's so intent on hurting me that he doesn't see the axe, cocked like a baseball bat. I feel my arms swing forward, and the metal blade arcs towards his head. Before his fist gets anywhere near me, I hear his skull split with a wet thwack, and I see his brains splatter against the wall. The axe falls from my hands as his body slumps, lifeless, before me. Cutting up Tony is easy. I can feel the eagerness of the boiler, and that makes the work go quickly. I pile the parts together as I go. Two arms, legs in several pieces, torso hacked into chunks. Tony's head is just two broken bowls of gore. The floor is covered in blood, but I am sure-footed as I open the grate of the boiler. The flame is strong now, sputtering and leaping in anticipation. I pick up an arm, Tony's right hand at the end of it, the one that hit me so many times over the years. The flames seem to reach out to grab it as I toss it into the fire. They hiss and pop with delight. This is the fuel it needs. The fire is stronger than ever. I toss in another piece of Tony, then another. The boiler is roaring with life, the fire turning more and more red. The metal is almost glowing now with the energy of its consumption. It doesn't take long before Tony is gone. Whatever's left of him is hidden in the flames, being devoured by the boiler's heat. The boiler is happy. I smile. But I know it won't stay happy. It needs to be fed again. I stretch, somehow not sore or tired from the work. Instead, I'm warm, I'm strong, I'm ready. The energy and heat from the boiler is seeping into me, making me vital, making me feel alive. More alive than I've felt in a long, long time. I've woken up the boiler, I brought it to life, and I intend to keep it that way. While it is lit, it will keep me warm.
the boiler needs more fuel, and I know just where to get it. I pick up the axe and begin walking up the stairs. I won't be gone long.